kind of explain what the next few weeks are going to look at look like. We will not meet next week because of Easter, and we will not meet the week after that because my daughter has a senior banquet, and I have asked to be able to go to that because I didn't go to the one the last two years when she, that she had. Um, so since this is her senior one, I've asked to go, and they said yes, by all means. But we won't miss anything. We'll just push it one more week into May. So uh, tonight, then off two weeks, then three weeks to finish is how we will, how we will go. So let's open with a word of prayer and then uh, review, see what you know. Father, we are thankful that you are a God. We are thankful that you're a God that we can come to, that cares for us, that loves us, that has a plan for us. And Father, you have revealed bits and pieces of that plan just through your commands. And so, Father, tonight, would you uh, allow us to hear clearly what you are commanding of us and what you would have us to do, how you would have us to live, that we might represent you well uh, to a world that does not know you but so desperately needs to know and to understand the truth about who you are. And we just pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're talking about commands. What's the verse we got this from? whole idea came from Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. Well, we need to know what those, what that commands, what those commands are. <clears throat> so we said there are two types of commands, cultural and universal. Cultural for just the people that he was talking to in that culture at that time. Universal for everyone, all times, all places. The first command was the command to come. It's an invitation to come into relationship. Okay, we're, we're entering into the relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has. It's a command to, or an invitation to rest. That's everyone's favorite. And it's an invitation to purpose. Come and I will make you fishers of men. I will give your life meaning. I will give you a plan. I will give you a purpose for living. Um, and then our response to that is to repent. Um, it's also then a command to, to come as a child, a command to be I might have these out of order. Command to be perfect. That's the command to follow. I think these did get out of order on my notes. To love the God with your whole being. Deny yourself. This is under the command to follow. Take my yoke. Commitment to be perfect. And a command to be extraordinary. We also had a command to think. What was the command to think? It was a command to think how? Christianly. Command to think Christianly. And a command to not be what? Deceived. Do not be deceived. So we have to be thinking so that we're not deceived. So that the things that we hear, things that we say, we can think Christianly about and not be deceived by any false teaching uh, and, and know what the truth is. And it's a command to be aware of who or what. 
false teachers because they are everywhere. And we are told, we are warned that in the end times, as that day approaches, they will become more and more and more of them. And I think we're getting there um, because you, you just can't, you just can't believe hardly anything you see or hear in the news, through the media, on TV, movies portray biblical things with a twist, uh, you know, and, and <clears throat> if we don't know, if we are not thinking, if we don't think Christianly, we will be deceived. We will buy into that little twisted thing. And then we said there's a command to love, and this is a command to love the Lord your God, to love your neighbor, love your enemies, and to turn the other cheek. Those all came with with love. And tonight we're going to go into the seventh command, or the sixth command, I think. No, because we spent two weeks on follow. It's less than seven, but it's our fifth command um, that we're going to look at. Because we've done come, follow, think, love, and this is forgive is our command for tonight. The command to forgive. And turn the other cheek is a perfect lead-in. Right where we left off is a perfect lead-in to where we are going. Because that whole idea of forgiving is turning. It's not seeking revenge. It's not going after them. It's not getting my pound of flesh. It's not, you know, I got hurt, so I'm going to hurt back. Uh, It is turning the other cheek. Uh, And so we're going to talk tonight about just what that is. So the first thing we want to talk about is this command to forgive. Um, And perhaps this is the character trait of God that we are most grateful for is his forgiving nature. I mean, because where would, we, where would each of us be if he was not a forgiving God? Uh, we would, the human race would have long since been eradicated, wiped out, if he were not a forgiving God, if grace and mercy were not a part of his character, if forgiveness was not a part of who he is by nature, he is a forgiving God. Um, and so it's not surprising then that this is a command of Christ because if it is such a big part of God and a part that we all like and we all enjoy and we are to be representatives of God, then command needs to be a pretty big, or forgive needs to be a pretty big part of our own character because we are representing the God of forgiveness. Um, and so this should be a character trait of every Christian. Luke chapter 17 verses 3 and 4. So watch yourselves. Okay, be careful. This isn't easy, Jesus is saying. What I'm commanding you to do and and forgive is not by nature. For some, loving is by nature. They're just loving people. Uh, Some find following very easy. Some find coming, that that get involved very easy. Some are, are natural thinkers. I don't know too many people that are natural forgivers. I've just not met too many of them. Maybe they're out there, but, but he says, so watch yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now there's one that also goes and says, you know, how many times? 70 times seven. Uh, now the, the law said you had to forgive seven times. 
The eighth time, you didn't have to anymore because they had not proven themselves worthy to be forgiven. So that's why Peter says, how many times should I forgive? Seven? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven, which basically means don't count. You know, if you're, if you're counting and you get to the 490th, you've missed the whole point of forgiveness. Uh, if, if you're keeping that kind of score. So this idea of, of forgive, as, as Jesus uses the word here, forgive, it means to send away, to bid going away to, or depart. It's, it's of a husband divorcing his wife. Now let's put that into the, into the context here. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, send him away? No, we send the sin away. We, we divorce him from the sin. Uh, we, we separate the two. We let it go. We give up a debt. Okay? So if, if someone, and, and debt is debt trespasses, you know from the Lord's Prayer, debt trespasses sin are all interchangeable depending on which version you're reading. Um, and so this is, means to give up a debt, to kind of cancel the debt, overlook the debt, um, keep it no longer. And so we're separating the sin from the person. So when a person comes and seeks forgiveness or or repents and says that they are truly sorry, we are commanded to separate them from that sin, which means we don't don't hold that sin against them any longer. We we separate them from it. We we forgive them. We, We give up that debt that they may have sinned against us or whatever. We give up the debt. Uh, for them. Uh, and again, this is not our nature to do that. Our nature says punish. Our nature says keep track. Our nature says, yeah, I forgive you, but boy, I'm going to watch you very closely because I know that you, hey, we haven't separated them from the sin. We've just told them we'll overlook it this time. But if it happens again, then we're coming after you. Then we're not, you know, but we're saying seven times, 70 times seven. Uh, And so not by our nature, but we need to let it go. We need to be able to give up the debt that the other person has has caused us or the problem that the other person has caused us. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 12, 14, and 15. This is from the Lord's teaching on prayer. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, this just got real serious with that one line. Is he serious? It does, does he really mean that if we're unwilling to forgive someone, then God is not going to forgive us? I'm going to take him at his word. I'm not going to say that there must be some other meaning to that, that that's not what he's, he's meaning. Yes, I had a professor tell me if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Okay, if, if you can take it literally and that makes sense, then seek nothing else. Don't try to soften it. Don't try to go around. Don't. So when he says, if you forgive men When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'm going to take that as true as it says. That when we refuse to forgive someone, we are actually sinning. 
Have you ever considered that? That because it's a command to forgive, and when we refuse to give, then we now are committing a sin. And, and so how can we not forgive and then ask God to forgive us of our not forgiving when we're not willing to forgive that person? It makes sense that God will not forgive our sins. No matter what the other person has done to us, we can't rationalize how bad it is. We can't rationalize how evil it is. We can't rationalize how many times it was done to us. I'm not saying I'm trying to make it easy. I'm just, it's pretty much black and white. We need to forgive. We, we need to, to release the debt. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. This is a great parable that Jesus gives uh, as, as Peter was asking him how many times. Matthew chapter 18, verses 20, verse 21 Peter said to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, because that's what the law required. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or uh, some has even said 70 times seven. Uh, so it's you know either 77, 490. Principle is don't keep track. Jesus answered, uh, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, 10,000 talents is several million dollars. I don't know how he racked up this kind of debt. I don't know what he did. We're not told. But one of his servants had racked up a several million dollar debt. Since he was not able to pay, there was no way in that economy back then he was ever going to pay that kind of money. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That was customary. You could do that. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Okay, not just, okay, I won't sell you. You go ahead and pay it off. He canceled the debt, forgave the debt, no longer owed it. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a few bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's his explanation of how many times should I forgive? This servant owed a debt he could not possibly pay back. We owe a debt that we cannot possibly pay back. Our sin nature is a debt that we cannot pay. 
The only way we can pay it is eternity in hell, separated from God. Many will pay it that way. That's the only, that's the only way to pay that debt. If we want to establish any kind of relationship with the master as a servant, he has to forgive that debt in order to have that relationship. And the master forgave the debt. But then if we turn around and we are not willing to forgive even the smallest of debts, the master says, I don't forgive you. You're going to have to pay back everything that you owe. The idea of sinners, unwilling to forgive sinners, is mind-boggling to God. That there are sinners who are unwilling to forgive other sinners because we really don't have anything to stand on. I have to forgive you because I've been forgiven. Forgiving is freeing. It frees us of bitterness. It frees us of pride. It frees us of hatred. Because the longer we go without forgiving, and I've talked to people that have gone years. I mean, something happened, big brother tickled little sister, put a worm down her back when she was little. And at 50, she's still never gotten over it. And, and, and just the bitterness that's there and the hurt that's there and the fact that Big Brother doesn't even know that he did that. You know, if he was brought up, yeah, okay, I remember that kind of. But, but instead of forgiving, instead of confronting and forgiving, to carry that with you is deadening. I mean, it hardens your heart. It it paralyzes you. And the sure sign of forgiveness is a repaired relationship. Think about that. It's not just, okay, yeah, I forgive them. Because I've talked to, I I talked to, that was a true story, by the way. I talked to that lady. And I said, you need to forgive him. You need to get past that. Oh, I've forgiven him hundreds of times. No, you haven't at all. You haven't even done it once yet. Because if you truly forgive the person, then the relationship is repaired. Back to the story of God and us. When God forgives us, that relationship is perfectly restored. There is no longer sin separating. We now have full access to the Father, and that relationship is a great relationship. And so forgiveness restores, repairs a relationship. I forgive, they receive my forgiveness. That relationship should be actually stronger than it was before. I've told the story of the friend of mine, my best friend in high school, who was pushed into a corner by a teacher. I think uh, it wasn't fair uh, to him what, what she did to him. But we had worked on a paper together, and so our papers looked very, very similar. Um, he had her early in the day. I had her later in the day. And when we turned them in and she read them, she said, these papers are identical. They weren't identical, but they were darn close because he worked on a book, handed it to me. I looked at the book, wrote it down, and we you know, swapped books. And so it looked very, very similar. And she said, who wrote this paper? And he said, well, we both, I mean, that's my work. That's his work. We both were, I mean, he told the truth. She wouldn't take it. He said, no, I don't believe that. You're an honor student. Who wrote the paper? And when push came to shove, he buckled. And he said, I did. 
thing he wrote the paper and that I copied off of him. And so he got his grade and I got called into the teacher's office and given an F. And that was it. There was no, I didn't have a recourse. I could not go back and say because he had already said. And for two or three days, our friendship was pretty rough, pretty rocky. Our moms were good friends, and that was pretty rough, pretty rocky. And it came to the point to where after two or three days, he and I couldn't take it anymore. Because, I mean, we were inseparable. And he came to me and apologized. And I readily forgave him. And we both went into the teacher and explained the situation. And she then believed both of us and made us just write the paper over again. To this day, we're best friends. But it took him being willing to admit the wrong, me being willing to forgive the wrong, and then to remove the debt from the debtor and move on. And the relationship was actually, I think, stronger after that point because of what we had gone through, because we had experienced it. Both of us were believers at the time. We understood that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view says revenge, get back, get even. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. He separated, he removed, he he forgave. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You you, you see that as ambassadors of Christ, the gospel is a, is a message of forgiveness. It's a message of, of a fallen people who are imperfect, who are sinful, and a perfect, holy, righteous God. And, and the gospel is how those two can come back into relationship. And that God desires that relationship. And that he is willing to forgive the sin that has separated us. And so for those of us who have accepted that forgiveness that God freely offers, we then become ambassadors of that message. We become ambassadors of reconciliation. We become uh, image bearers, if you will, of what forgiveness in the gospel is all all about. So if we are refusing to forgive, what message are we sending? God doesn't forgive either. We're bad ambassadors. We're not, we're not living the gospel that we have accepted, that we have taken on. If we are refusing to let God use us as ambassadors of Christ in that other person's life, did you ever think that God allows some people to hurt us so that he can empower us to forgive them and he can begin, and that other person can begin to understand what forgiveness is all about? That sometimes that pain and suffering that we take on is really just a doorway to their salvation. 
And we have to be willing to forgive. We have to be willing to set our own pride and our bitterness and our hatred and our rights and everything else aside so that we can be ambassadors of Christ, so that we can be ambassadors of the gospel. That we are, we're ministers of reconciliation. We're, we're trying to bridge those two gaps or bridge that gap between God and, and sinful man. And if we're unwilling to show them forgiveness, they're not going to see how that works. If they can't see it between you and me or between me and them, how are they going to understand it between them and God who they can't see and they're not even sure exists? Hebrews chapter 12. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I tell you, I'm going to have to do a personal study of Hebrews because every time I read something out of that, I pull something that I didn't see before and it just fascinates me. And that little, that little phrase, so that no one misses the grace of God, I sat and chewed on and chewed on and chewed on and I thought, I've never seen that before. So what does it mean to miss the grace of God? It's missing salvation. And our unwillingness to forgive an unbeliever may mean they never experience God's grace. If we don't show them grace, if we don't show them mercy, if we don't show them forgiveness and and extend that to them, they may miss the greatest forgiveness and the greatest act of grace ever. This command has to be taken seriously. We have to really think through our relationships. And I'm not saying go back and dig stuff up, but as God brings it to our mind, we need to deal with it. We need to, uh, to seek forgiveness from others. We need to be willing to forgive. Now that bids the question, do I have to forgive if they don't say they're sorry? Yes, you do. And here's why. Because I, I've actually, not everyone thinks that way. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman not too long ago over this very topic that didn't believe. If they don't say they're sorry, you don't have to forgive them. And that's not true because of this. Some of, because, and I get where they're coming from, because some of these verses say, like we started, if they repent, then forgive. If they come back 77 times and repent, then forgive. What if they don't repent? Picture Jesus on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Jesus extended forgiveness to people who didn't know what they were doing, didn't understand the sin that they were committing, didn't understand what nailing him to the cross... How, how evil and wretched that was. And that there are people that, that Jesus died for and Jesus has already forgiven. Okay? Jesus' death on the cross has already offered forgiveness. He's already done everything he needs to do to forgive human sin. He doesn't need to do it again and again and again. He's already done it. In his mind, he has already forgiven all of mankind. There's nothing more he needs to do. He's offered it to everybody. He doesn't wait for someone to repent to offer forgiveness. He's already offered it. Their repentance 
is the means by which they receive that forgiveness. Does that make sense? Bill. Yes, Stephen did the exact same thing. Stephen forgave them. They never asked him for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, I wouldn't think so. I, I think that's smart um, because if if you have truly forgiven them, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna say yes, you have, because um, I don't know heart and motive. But if you've talked with them and you've shown them their sin, and and they've not repented, you know, they've not sought forgiveness. They continue to do it even to the point of not admitting that they are wrong. They, they don't admit that they've done anything wrong and they continue to do it and they're saying what I'm doing is not wrong, then yeah, I, I, would, I would walk away. That's setting boundaries. That's, that's smart <laughs> is what that is. Forgiveness is for us. I mean, that, that's a, yes, we, we are healed through that forgiveness process. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, but I wouldn't be too quick to jump on that's what it is. Um, I mean, it can be God's judgment upon a church or upon an individual who refuses to repent or refuses to forgive. Um, but I'm not too quick to. Mm -hmm. Right. And some of that is, and, and the, the parable, of course, every parable, you know, it's a, it's a good story. You know, breaks down eventually. This, this probably is more referring to the final judgment, too, that the master will at some point turn them over for eternal uh, punishment. Thank you. Um, so, yes, I do need to forgive. Jesus, Jesus has already done everything. He's already forgiven everyone. Just not everyone's received that forgiveness. And so I do need to forgive a person whether they ask me for it or not. And that is for me. So how do I forgive? I think this is important. There are four stages. I got this from, I forget, not mine, uh, probably copyrighted in a couple different books. I don't remember where I got it from because um, I got it from a guy who got it from a guy in his book. So it's like, you know, three times quoted uh, with this. It sounded like mine, but it's really his who he got it from someone else. So no credit whatsoever. But there are four stages of forgiving. And if you think through it, you can, can see. Yeah, Bill. Oh, uh, the first one is <clears throat> stage one is hurt. Okay, stage one is hurt. 
Somebody causes you pain, and you cannot simply forget about it. Okay? Sometimes we think forgiveness is, well, I'll just forget about it. I'll just swallow it. I'll take it. I'll swallow my pride of it. No. It's hurt. Admit it that it's hurt. Admit that it hurts you. Admit that it caused you pain, that it caused you problems. Uh, ad- admit if, 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 hurts, if, if someone lies to you, it hurts if they cheat you. Uh, forgiveness does not ask you to forget that it hurt. Forgiveness is asking you that you admit that it hurt. Okay? Because it's wrong thinking to say, well, that didn't hurt. It's pretending if we say, well, that didn't hurt. That didn't bother me. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. It did hurt. That actually cheapens grace to pretend that nothing wrong ever happened. And so one of the first things we have to do is we have to own the hurt. We have to admit that it did hurt. That person did hurt me in some way. That's the first stage. And sometimes we don't let ourselves go there because we think it's unchristian to go there. No, Jesus hurt. He admitted the hurt. I mean, he prayed to God to to get away from that. If there's any other way to do this, let's do it. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the pain they're causing right now. He admitted the hurt. Stage two, Jesus didn't do this, but we on our human sides will. Stage two is hate. That sounds ungodly, but it is a stage you will go in. And you usually have to get there before you're willing to get to stage three. Okay? This is acknowledging the pain and wanting to return the hurt. Okay? This is acknowledging the pain, and yes, it hurts me so bad, I want to smack them. You know, I don't want to kiss them. I don't want to buy them a present. I don't want to, I don't want to forgive them. Okay? That, this is all part of that owning the hurt. You are not at a place to wish them well or even pray for them at this point. And that's okay. The problem is some never get out of this stage. Some admit, yes, it hurt, and yes, I hate them. Hate might be a strong word, but it's an H word and goes with hurt, hate, and the next one. Uh, and so I, I don't want to get, I, it hurts me too bad. That, that's okay. That's real. That's reality. And we need to move through that. But don't get stuck there because stage three is healing. Stage three is you, you sit and you think about what has happened. And by grace, you look at the other person through God's eyes. When, when you get through and you've acknowledged the hurt and you get through the, the pain and the suffering and the, and the hate or the, the I want to get back, I don't like them, I don't want to be around them, I can't think of them anymore, you begin praying. God begins healing. And it's in that healing stage that we begin to, by God's grace, look at them through God's eyes. You begin to understand their pain. You begin to to ask, why did they do that? And you begin to understand that there is hurt on their side too, that they're just as imperfect as you are. Or you realize you're just as imperfect as they are. And you realize you can't do this in your own strength. And at some point, we have to give that hurt and that hate to God and enable him to share his forgiveness through us. Because it's not our forgiveness. It's not our grace. God is the author of that. It's us sharing God's forgiveness with them. It's us sharing God's grace with that other person. 
And so we come to that point in the healing stage when we allow God to begin to soften us, to begin to, to melt our heart to where we begin to, to really understand and, and look and love that other person. Love your enemies? Kind of all goes together. I love it when all these commands just stack right up and make sense. This is a part of loving your enemies and pray for them. Pray for those that curse you and, and hurt you. Not stage one. Stage one is going to be admitting hurt and stage two hate, but you've got to get to stage three and you allow God to begin to work in you as you pray for them. That if we are people who can only survive because of forgiveness, we can never withhold that forgiveness. If we agree with the, the statement that I started with, that perhaps the character trait of God that we are most grateful for is his forgiving nature, where would each of us be if he was not a forgiving God? We can never withhold that forgiveness from anyone else if we truly believe that we can't live without it. They can't live without it. They need it. That's the healing process. And then stage four is the coming together. I know it's not an H, but three H's is pretty good. It's the coming together. You invite that person back into your life. Confront them with the hurt. Confront them with your true feelings of, of where you were. Explain to them the process of healing of where God has brought you through that, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. And this is where Christ is with the human race. He's done everything he, ha he can, and he offers us. He says, I want to and to come. The command to come, enter into relationship. Enter that, that relationship back into rest. He offers forgiveness, but the relationship will only be restored with those who accept it. But we have to offer. We've got to be willing to offer that forgiveness. And a true restored relationship will be, I've offered, you've accepted, and we're probably stronger than we were before. So that's the command to forgive. The command to forgive. To, to, to own the hurt, to, to work through the hate, I mean, the, the really deep hurt, and allow God to begin the healing where it brings you back to the point of coming together. We can't live without forgiveness, neither can they. And there's not a relationship around that's perfect. We're all imperfect people. We have to understand that. The second command in this, command to forgive, we are to forgive, but we're to be reconciled with each other, reconciled with, with the other person. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Reconciled. That means that we exchange hostility for concession. We exchange hostility for for like, for, for the relationship that once was hurt and hate is now coming together, that, that we, we come back. Nothing we do is right until we reconcile. If we have something against a brother, if we have something against, uh, and in this case it, it is talking about other believers, but we'll get to the point to where it doesn't necessarily just mean that. But here he is talking about if, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're, if you're in worship, 
and you're bringing your, your gift, your sacrifice, your whatever to God in worship, and you remember that your brother has something against you, that another believer has something against you, you're to leave. Because nothing we do is right until we reconcile. So if we're, if, if we're at, at odds with someone, our worship is going to be off until we reconcile. Our offering is going to be off. Our relationship with God is going to be off. Our relationship with others is going to be off. And I think if we thought real clearly through that, we would have to agree with that. That just from experience, you know, if something, if if you and a spouse fight on the way to church, how great is worship that day? Okay? You and a kid have it out Saturday night. You get up, you're still mad. How great is worship that day? Someone cuts you off in the parking lot. How great is worship that day? You see, it makes sense, doesn't it? That unless, if, if that relationship's not right, nothing's right. And that's why God says, yeah, you can come through and you can still go through the motions, but you're better off to go make it right. Then come back in and worship. Mm-hmm. And you don't even know it. You don't even know it. That some people can. You've done something, offended someone slightly, greatly, doesn't matter. You are no idea that you've done it. And they take it, internalize it, feel the hurt, get the bitterness and the hate going, and you have no idea. Yeah, see, that's the other thing. We have to own up to it. We're going to get to that. Um, that, that we have to own up to. Maybe we say, you know, I, I know I've done that before. I've had people come to me. Um, hard to believe, really, um, <laughs> that as a pastor I would ever offend anyone. And I've, I've simply had to say, you know, I'm sorry. I did not intend it that way. I am sorry that it hurt you. I'm sorry that it was miscommunicated, um, you know, and we will work on communicating better. We will work on not doing that again. I didn't know that that. You know, we have, to, we have to own up to it. In fact, this is, this is interesting, this verse, because listen to what it says. And again, this is another one of those where I read, and I'm like, I never think I read it that way. If you come to church to worship, and you remember that someone has something against you, you have the responsibility to go and make it right. This isn't a, if I come and realize, you know what, someone hurt me, I need to go make it right. Jesus flipped the tables on this one. He said, if you come and you realize someone has something against you, otherwise someone's come to you and said, you hurt me. You can't just blow it off. Because worship won't be right. Relationship won't be right. Your offering won't be right. You have a responsibility that if someone says you've offended me, you have a responsibility to go to them and make it right. Seek that forgiveness. The responsibility is on the one who has offended in this case. If you know that you've offended someone. Now, as Jim said, we don't always know that. If you don't know, you can't do anything about it. So if no one comes to you and they're just sitting there getting bitter and bitter and bitter and bitter, that's on them because you don't know you've done anything. But as soon as you know it, you have a responsibility to be reconciled, take care of it. Okay? 
Romans 14, 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Every effort, everything within your power to live at peace. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means if you've done everything you can and they're not willing to forgive, they're not willing to to reconcile, to make it right, that's on them. You've done everything. Again, this is Jesus. Jesus has done everything. As far as it depends on him, he's done everything he can do to live at peace with everyone. He's paid the price. He's offered forgiveness. He's, he's, he's reconciled man with God. But if people aren't willing to take it, there's nothing more he can do. So we're to live at peace, that harmonious relationship. Think of rest. Think of contentment. Think of, you know, someone you just enjoy being around. You're perfectly at ease with them. That's the relationship we need to reestablish with someone that either we have offended or has offended us. We're to be reconciled. Consider the relationships in your life. Are there people that you have not forgiven? Maybe it's so long you've just kind of blown it over. But if you really thought about it, yeah, I've never forgiven them. I've never forgiven them. Are there people who have not forgiven you? that you're holding a grudge with, that, that you need to be reconciled as far as it is, it is within your power. Seek to harmonize that relationship. Be reconciled. may mean going the extra mile, doing whatever is necessary, giving your coat, give them your shirt also. Remember that? Again, I love it when they all come together. That's the command we have, to love, to be extraordinary, to go the beyond what is expected. Think of those relationships. And then the last thing we have to consider, we said to forgive, be reconciled with one another, and then judge not. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now this word judge, I want to look at these three words, judge, condemn, and forgive. Because sometimes we don't, I think, totally understand what these words mean. And we use them incorrectly. And therefore, we kind of live incorrectly. Uh, because we, we translate this, this word judge. And if judge and condemn mean the same thing, then Jesus didn't need to say the second one if they mean the same thing. Judge means to be judged. To summon to a trial that one's case may be examined and judgment passed upon it. To pronounce judgment. Okay, condemn is to give judgment against, to pronounce guilty, to condemn them. Judgment, okay, here's the difference between these two, and it's incredibly important that we understand it. Judging is, you're wrong. Condemning is, you're wrong, and I'm going to punish you. See, we don't have that power. Because we're told in other scriptures to judge. We have to make judgments. We make judgments every day. Evaluation. We're to be fruit inspectors is one way someone put it. But, but judge and condemn is different. We have to understand that when we read it, we have to know what it is that we're reading. When it says, do not judge or you will be judged. When one says, don't judge or you're going to be judged by the same standard. Well, okay. 
But condemned is something different. Condemned is punishing, carrying on. Otherwise, you're condemning them to hell because of their wrongdoing. It's one thing to point out a person's sin. And we're instructed to do that, aren't we? If you see a brother sinning, you who are mature, point it out to them. How can we do that if we don't judge? So we're commanded to judge, but we're commanded to not condemn. See, we're separating the sin and the sinner. That's, that's what forgiveness is. So judge, condemn, forgive is to set free, to let go, dismiss, uh, to hold it no longer uh, is how we understand that. So God knows how easy it is for us to notice failure. God knows how easy it is for us to notice shortcomings, flaws in other people. Can you agree to that? You find that pretty easy? I can, I can do it. Sit down with me. We, let's talk about it. I'll point out all your flaws. And you can sit down and point out all mine. Because that's easy for us to see those in other people. And God understands that. But the problem is we never have enough information to judge and condemn. Because what is the one thing we can't see? The heart. God can see the heart. That's why God is allowed to condemn. We can judge. And even then, we're probably not going to have a true judgment. It's going to be faulty at times. Sometimes it'll be obvious because it's right out there. We can judge actions. What do we judge them up against? Truth. Think. Christianly, judge them according to their actions, words, maybe even a thought if they express that thought. But we lack the ability to see their heart. We lack their ability to see motive. And that's why we cannot condemn. Because we don't know what's going on. We don't always know the pain in a person's life. We don't know the suffering. We don't know the hardship that, it, that factored into them becoming the person that you meet and are now casting a judgment on. We don't always understand. John chapter 7, verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. See, we're instructed there to judge. Just do it rightly. Do it correctly. Don't judge just on what you see. Got to get deeper. You got to understand where that person's coming from. I tell my kids that all the time. When they'll, they'll come home and say, oh, he's a bad kid. I said, why? Oh, he does this, he does this, he does this. Why? Why does he do that? You've got to find out why what you're judging his actions as being bad. You've got to find out why he's doing that. I'll guarantee you his home life's cruddy just based on the way you're saying he's acting. I'm guessing that at home, that's the example he has. And I said, we need to not condemn them We can judge it as wrong, but to condemn them as a person I'm just going to ignore, no. Reach out for them. Begin to understand them. And that's the judge not. Not Don't judge and condemn. You can judge, yeah, that's a wrong action. That's a right action. But many times our judgment of someone is based solely on our own opinion. Is it not? Our own preferences. In... in, uh, Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, which I think some of you have gone through or are going through, um, our small group is going through it right now. I know Bev's group on Thursday nights are going through it right now. Um, The women's Sunday school class, I think, has been through it. We've had a couple other small groups that have gone through it. It's a great study, great book. 
I think it's in the library. If it's not, I've got an extra copy on my shelf. I'll give it to someone, and you can put it in the library when you're done. But he discusses how he dealt with all of this of judging um, and how easy it is. That he, he's old school. When I say old school, he's just older than me. I still consider myself not quite old school yet. And I don't know how old he is, but he says, grow, you know, growing up in the church in the 50s and 60s, so that's before my time. Uh, and he says, you know, that everyone used to dress a certain way. Women wore dresses. Men had coats and ties, and many times suits and ties. And then we got into the 60s, 70s, and women started wearing slacks. And men lost their ties and started wearing just polo shirts, khakis. And he said he had a hard time with that. He didn't know what to do with that. He said, how could people dress so irreverently to come into church? And then it dawned on him, that's just his own preference, his own opinion. He searched the scriptures, couldn't find anywhere where it said suit and tie must be worn. Don't judge by mere appearances. Make a right judgment. Then we got into the whole, then he went into the whole music thing. Lover of the old hymns. Grew up on the hymns and the organ and the piano. And then they brought those drums in. And then they didn't do, then they started doing the chorus. I don't want to bring up old wounds here. Then stop. (laughs) But he said, you know, I had to understand that was just my personal preference. That if we look in the scriptures, actually all those instruments were in there. Yeah, where it lists all the instruments that were being used and 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 that we're we are to have songs, hymns, and 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 you know, bring hymns and psalms and songs and you know, all of that is all a part of worship. And he's had to understand, he said, you know what, that was just my opinion, my preference. And I was judging people based on my preference, not upon truth. And then he went into alcohol, but I'm not gonna touch that one. And sometimes we can, we can judge beliefs and we can judge doctrine. Now, yes, there are some that are right and wrong. We can judge right and wrong based upon right here. But there are some things that this is still fuzzy about. Would you agree with that? It doesn't just lay it all out. That there are some things like eternal security. You know, you get the right people in the room and that can be a battle over once saved, always saved. And we can judge people because they disagree with my opinion on that matter. Because you can both sides, anytime both sides can go and support their idea from Scripture, it's not worth arguing about. It's not worth arguing about. If both sides can go in and pull out Scripture and almost rightly defend their view. Calvinism, Arminian. Maybe some of you have never heard those terms, but there are Calvinists and there are Arminians. Calvinists are the, you're the elect. You know, you were chosen before time to be a believer. Arminian is saved by grace, only by grace. Everyone's free will, choice. You can support both of those. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 
Calvin will go with the, the more of the once saved, always saved, eternal security. Arminian is not. You can lose your salvation. Now, you can support both of those. You can pull scriptures up. So what does that tell me? It's not worth arguing about. But we can judge. We can write people off because of the doctrinal stance that they take. Hebrews chapter 12, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is a command to seek forgiveness. Not forgiving leads to bitterness, leads to causing trouble and making matters worse than they already are. You've seen that happen. Someone stuck in the hate stage and the, the problem just gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point to where you don't even remember exactly what the problem was, but you know there's a problem. Because we've, we've buried it. And all of that while not judging in a condemning way, we're to watch out for each other's behavior. I have a command to judge you. You have a command to judge me. And that's not judging and condemning. That's judging and pointing out where we might have gone astray. That if you see a brother caught in sin, you who are mature should restore them gently. You've got to judge in order to do that. We're commanded to judge, but not in a condemning way. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Not necessarily tempted to follow him in his sin, but tempted to condemn, judge, write him off. Luke chapter 6, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Note the purpose of dealing with the speck or the flaw in another person's life. It's to help them, not condemn them or judge them, not, not judge them in a condemning way. The whole idea is, is to remove that plank, deal with your own sin, and then help them deal with theirs. We all have specks. We all have planks. We need to help one another remove them. Not condemning, but pointing it out. And this requires relationship. This is getting to know the past hurt, getting to know the motive, getting to understand that person on a deeper level to where not only can you say, hey, I noticed the speck. They can say, yeah, can you help me deal with that? Will you forgive me for that? I'll forgive you. Let's see if we can make this better. And they can come to you. I noticed the speck. Yeah, can you forgive me? Let, let's work on this together. That's what this is dealing with. That's what the judge not, condemn not, forgive is all about. We also have to guard against one last thing, and that's a critical spirit. This is the, in the whole judge not. We have to guard against the critical spirit. These are people, people with a critical spirit, they find fault with everything. Okay, they find fault with everything. Now, I'm not talking about critiquing everything. Okay? I've been called a person who has a critical spirit in my past. Okay? People sometimes see me as a critical spirit. But the motive is not to tear down. Critiquing is to build up. That a critical spirit is one that just points everything flaw out for a desire to tear down. 
A critique or a critical thinker is one who points out the speck in order to remove it and build up. We have to watch. That's a fine line. We have to watch our own motives. Are we being critical? Are we being a critic in order to tear down or in order to build up? We're commanded to build up. The critic seeks to improve. The critical spirit seeks to tear down. We need to become critical of the church. We need to become critical of other people. We need to become critical of family members. We need to become critical of ourselves. Remove the plank. But not to tear down, but to build up. That's the we can judge. We can inspect. We can look. We have to receive and give in that way. So we have a command then to forgive, and that takes all of these things in together. To be reconciled, to judge not, to condemn not. To not judge in a, in a condemning way, but to look. So what your job is this week is to sit back and examine your own self. Look for that plank. Are there people in your life that you have not forgiven? Are there people in your life that you have hurt and you know it and you've never really sought forgiveness from them? This week, your command is to forgive. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who forgave us and that we can love others because you first loved us. And that, Father, we have the ability to forgive because you have forgiven us. We understand grace. We have experienced grace as believers. Father, help us to, to, to judge not in a condemning way, to not be a, a critical uh, in order to tear down, to not have a critical spirit, but, Father, to critique, to build up. Father, help us to examine our own life, that we are better prepared, better enabled, to build that relationship with other people, to offer help, to offer forgiveness, to offer your grace, to be the ambassadors that you would have us to be. Father, that we might see people come to know you, that we might see people outside of your family, outside of, of, a, of a saving relationship, come into a believing, saving relationship with you. Father, give us eyes to see the hurt in other people. Father, give us spirits that are soft to think first, speak and act second. We give you the praise and the glory for what you're going to do through us as individuals, through us as a church, the body as we seek out to forgive people around us and seek forgiveness from people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Respectable sins. If you haven't read it, you need to. If you're in a small group and you haven't done it yet, you need to suggest it to the leader if you're not the leader.